1: Arsenal Ozil, marca Mesut Ozil. Buena llegada de Alexis, de nuevo el centro, atrás para el segundo, ha marcado y es justo y Wubi, el 2-0
2: para el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. How are you doing? I'm well. How is your morning?
1: It's mixed, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I, um, I was late for the podcast. I, I, I hold my hands up, so we're arriving with you slightly later than usual. And I, I, I was um, out last night, drowning my sorrows after watching the Spurs game. Yeah. Attempting to forget it. Mm. Attempting to forget much of the season, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Did it work? Well, I I don't remember much of yesterday, so that's some consolation. But you remember Uh, the whole season, unfortunately. Unfortunately, the rest of the season sort of stayed with me. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's put me in a a fantastic mood this morning. I've got a a clear head, a clear mind, (laughs) and ready for some sharp analytical thought on the podcast.
2: Excellent. Well, I mean, I should reveal, of course, that we were scheduled to record at 10, and then you texted me last night going, can we make it 11? I'm anticipating a massive hangover.
1: Yes, so and then I end, it ended up being eleven thirty. It was even more massive than I would anticipated.
2: <laughs> well, look, here we are. Here we are, and I think um, you know that that's to be commended. We're here. We're we're
1: here. And how are you? Are you in the, the best of health?
2: I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Had a relatively quiet weekend. I didn't do anything to try and make myself forget what I'd seen over the over the course of the last couple of days. I just felt that was like a pointless exercise. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen too much. You know that dog. Um, that, sad that, eyes no the cupcakes dog you know that guy i don't know cupcakes dog you haven't seen this there's this um a brilliant gif i refuse to call them gifs
1: yeah i'm looking for it now oh yeah he's looking <laughs> <laughs> i have seen this dog yeah yeah yeah.
2: all right so that's that's kind of where i am in terms of this season and you know what, what i've seen i'm just Harrowed, like yeah yeah i've seen too much way too much Um, But apart from that, I'm okay. Had a relatively, relatively quiet weekend, so nothing, nothing is vexing me beyond the football. You know, I don't have any uh, hangover or headache. I would say it it is. It is a lot to be going on with. It really is.
1: Um, So where to, where to start, begin, commence?
2: That's a good question. I suppose the Everton game. No, the Everton game, the West Ham game. I keep, I, co- I keep thinking we could go back and just talk about the Everton game. That was quite good, I 2-0 win. I, I enjoyed kind that. I'm to think
1: that West Ham are sort <laughs> of the new Everton, aren't they? They're kind of the the relatively att- attractive team who are knocking on the door of the Champions League. Everton are the new West Ham, sort of mid-table mediocrity. It's yeah, have kind of switched around.
2: Yeah, it's all a bit weird. Actually, one of the things I noticed during the game uh, on saturday was was quite how stoky the West Ham fans were mm. you know there were there were a physical side uh Andy Carroll. A bit late there on Koscielny. Could have been a red card. Mm. Um, And they took umbrage to this. They took umbrage to decisions going against them and got very stokey and, you know, the same old Arsenal always cheating when one of our players gets his bollocks ripped, you know, from from inside him. Uh, This is somehow an Arsenal player's fault. Um, But yeah, I thought that was quite interesting because, you know, West Ham fans, you expect better, do you? Or do we? Or should we?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's it. That's it for the up, for Upton Park, isn't it? Or the Berlin Ground, whatever it's called. Uh, they keep changing it. I don't understand. What's it really called? It's called the Boleyn Ground. Right. Yeah. Like how Arsenal... Highbury was called Arsenal Stadium. Yeah. It? And that... Uh, so I won't miss it, I'll be honest. I mean, West Ham fans are tricky. I had a couple of texts off West Ham mates saying, you're lot, dive a lot and that kind of thing. Um... But you know they they fall over. Yes. When if you kick us, do we not bleed?
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you if you try and take the ankles off, just above do, the little yeah. ankle bone, do thing our there.
1: ankles not come off? They do come uh, off.
2: Because was quite lucky. That was nasty. I thought from Carol. Uh,
1: yeah, it was. I, did you think it was a red card or a yellow card? I thought that, given the deliberateness of it and the fact that he took a
2: couple of kicks at him from behind. It was really borderline for me. Really borderline. One of those orange
1: cards. One of those orange ones. Yeah. I think I I could understand it being a yellow. Yeah. um, But but I thought he was still lucky to stay on it later in the game. He was swinging his elbows around like nobody's business. Well, there
2: was one that went into Gabrielle's face. Yes. His beautiful face. Yeah, what a shame. (laughs) Um, but But for that one, in fairness... Uh, you know, he wasn't looking at Gabrielle, He was just jumping with his arms up. And those kind of clashes can happen from time to time. Not that I want to necessarily give him any benefit of the doubt or anything. But, yeah, I don't know. Did we play naively or foolishly against a guy who is, let's face it, a bit temperamental and who was on a yellow card after four minutes? Could we not have been a bit more cynical?
1: Maybe. Or is it that would've... not the gentlemanly thing to do? I don't know. I don't know if Gabriel's much of a gentleman. Usually, uh, usually he enjoys winding people up, doesn't he? He had a right go at doing the same to Costa and vice versa at Stafford Bridge. I, I think you might be right. Well, the thing that I thought was mentioned about Carroll is that Arsene Wenger came out after the game said he he really didn't expect him to play, and given West Ham's recent team selection, I suppose you know there is a certain logic to that. He's not been starting, but yeah. it was kind of. Um, it was clear that West Ham... They spoke. In fact, Carroll spoke about it in his post-match interview that they'd spent all week looking at Arsenal's weakness on crosses. Um, and, you know, they, they picked their team accordingly and it, well, that's, it paid dividends. Yeah, I,
2: look, I, I have to say that I'm pretty much appalled and outraged <laughs> that such a thing could happen. That a, <laughs> that a manager in a football team could assess the opposition, find some weaknesses highlight those weaknesses practice on exploiting those weaknesses and then put those very things into practice in an actual match situation it's just not the
1: right thing to do well precisely how dare uh, they how dare they prepare accordingly for each opposition according to their strengths and weaknesses i am um, bastards i mean do we i don't want to just lay straight into the manager 5 minutes into the podcast but is that Was that a bit naive on his part to think that Carol wouldn't be involved? I mean, he's exactly the sort of player we really struggled to deal with.
2: I think we probably should have been perhaps aware that it was a possibility. Mm. Maybe they might look at this weakness in the other. Arsene Wenger admitted after the game, he talked about this, we've had this aerial weakness because he was talking about the goalkeeper and we'll come to that, I think, in, in a little while. But he was talking about the goalkeeping situation. Why didn't he play uh, Czech rather than Ospina? And he said, well, look, we've had this problem in the air all season. It's got nothing to do with who's in goal. Um, so if he was aware that they've had a problem all season, he must be aware that Slavin Bilic, Uh, as a modern manager who looks at the opposition, who does perhaps uh, tailor his teams to to various different games, might have used Andy Carroll in in this particular I love this quote from Arsene Wenger afterwards. He was talking about Andy Carroll. He Mm said, we should have made life a bit more difficult for him. On the (laughs) first, second, and third goals, we, (laughs) we were a bit naive defensively. I love that.
1: On, on the first the second and the third just the three just the three goals
2: that we conceded we were a little bit naive
1: I, uh, I've just gone on arsenal.com to look at some other quotes and the, the headline arsenal.com it's just a picture of Arsene Wenger looking a bit sad and confused and the the big bold headline just says in the context it's a bad result <laughs> <laughs> you oh, don't do. say,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, no. In any context, it's a bad result, I think. From, from the position that we're in, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. On paper, if you look at it absolutely with a complete distance and say, well, you know, a draw, a draw at West Ham, given they're fifth in the table and given they're playing well all season and they haven't lost uh, at Upton Park, Bowling Ground, whatever the hell it's called, haven't mm. lost there since August, you know, they, that's not a bad result. But when you're 2 0 up, and two minutes away from half-time, and you go 3-2 down within five minutes of the second half. That's a bad result for me. That is a bad
1: result. No, I mean, it is, you know, hugely frustrating when Arsene comes out afterwards and talks about the the mental strength of the side for coming back into the game to get an equaliser. I mean, I suppose they deserve a a modicum of credit for that, but collapsing at two up, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? 43 minutes, wasn't it, on the clock, something like that? Yeah. And all we had to do was get to half-time, and... I, I I was I couldn't I nearly laughed to be honest watching it I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Hang on, no, you could believe what you were seeing. You could. I, let's, I could. Let's let's
2: not get into the realms of <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous here. You could definitely believe what you were seeing because we, we we've seen it all right. Uh, yeah, the first goal went in at forty three forty nine, and the second goal went in at forty six minutes and thirty seconds. Um, and for me. This highlighted a real big problem that we have in this team. We can come to the defensive issues in a couple of moments' time, and there are obviously uh, things to talk about there. Mm. Uh, There were some uh, Lauren Koscielny quotes, and we'll talk about those. Mm. But two minutes away from halftime, you're winning 2-0 away from home at a team that is uh, good this season, that has been very strong at home, uh, that you know is dangerous as well. So why not, and I know this is a fucking radical idea, why not just be compact, sit off, uh, defend the space as well, don't give them any room to attack you, close down men who are on the ball, don't allow crosses, just do the basics. Don't go flying forward looking for a third goal. Don't go flying all over the place looking to try and put the game out of sight. This is why I think we missed players like... Petr Cech, uh, although his influence from the goalkeeping position might be a, a little difficult, but somebody like, for example, Per Mertesacker or Mikel Arteta, and I'm not talking about Arteta as a player, I'm just talking about as uh, an experienced footballer who could talk to the players around him and say, hey, look, look, just be a bit sensible. Play keep ball. Don't give it away. Don't do anything silly. Let's just work hard, get into halftime, 2-0 up, and from there... You can then work on a plan for the second half. There was maybe, just it uh, was just so. bonkers.
1: But do you not think that there are players out there who should be able to assume that responsibility for themselves? I mean, guys like Erzul, who's won the World Cup, guys like Alexis, you know, uh, Koscielny, France international. Do you not think that they should still be able to to make those kind of strategic calls on the pitch?
2: I I. They should be, but none of them strike me as those kind of players. (laughs) They should be, but they're not. (laughs) Yeah, they should be, but they're not. They do have the experience. And I also wonder whether or not we look at situations. Uh, I got an email, actually. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it here very quickly. Um, Okay. Yeah, from Alexander uh, Aquerberu. I think I'm getting that very wrong. He's Alex A, anyway, and he says he's the only Arsenal fan from Togo. He says, no, really, I'm sure I'm the only one. And what he referenced was um, Jose Mourinho in the sense that when you're in a certain position in a game, Mm. that, okay, here's what we do if we're 1-0 up, and here's what we do if we're 2-0 up, and here's what we do if we're 2-1 up. I do wonder if part of the reason why we're not good at managing those situations is because there's no instruction about what we do when we manage those situations. It's easy to say, look, do the sensible thing, but if it's not part of um, your training or part of your preparation, I do wonder if, if that sort of thing uh, occurs to the players or it should come more naturally, right? So if you know, they're two minutes away from halftime, they're 2 nil up, okay, we've dealt with this. We've talked about this. This is what we should do in this situation, and I do wonder if that's something that's missing. Um, and you talk so it about has to be coached, basically to an extent. Yeah. Um, and I think your point about the, the guys like Kuszajny, like uh, Ozil, like Alexis, like uh, you know these guys who've been around the block and, and played uh, plenty of big games and in big tournaments and all that kind of stuff. You're right, but you can't say that those qualities were there against West Ham and we need those kind of qualities because in-game management whether it's from the sideline or from players on the pitch through leadership or whatever else that's an important part of football as well I think that's something that we're missing
1: well clearly clearly I mean what happened at Upton Park shows you that and uh, while I think those players should be capable of that I wouldn't contest the fact that they're not I wouldn't contest the fact that they consistently demonstrate that they don't know how to manage a game And uh, I do think that you, you might be on something there. Maybe that is about it being sort of systematically bed into the side through coaching, through instruction, through having a clear plan of what to do in different situations rather than just relying upon moments of individual responsibility. Maybe there needs to be greater direction from the top. I mean, you know, it's really frustrating because I was watching that first 40 minutes. It wasn't a brilliant performance, but there were... Positives. Oh, and yeah. Then, yeah. Uh, you know, Alex Awobi in particular, two great assists. I thought Mohamed Nenny was looking very good in midfield. But then all of a sudden that rug is pulled away from you. And, uh, you know, within sort of 10 minutes of football time, uh, we're in a position where we're behind. I mean, it, it, it's <clears> staggering, really. If it wasn't so expected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I wonder, you know, this whole thing about expected goals. There must yes. be some analysis of our arsenal of expected fuck-ups. Yeah, it yeah, must yeah. be really the easiest thing in football to predict. The, the statistical data analysis that goes with that must be just a piece of piss. Even oh, I could probably yeah. do it.
1: Our oh, XFU is through the roof.
2: <laughs> XFU, brilliant. we got to get some T-shirts at that, that made. Um, all right, well, look, before we look at the defending, let's talk about the couple of positives that we had. Goals from Mesut Ozil and from Alexis Sanchez and two assists from Alex Awobi.
1: Yeah, and really good goals and and really good assists as well. I mean, Iwobi is so impressive. What I noticed on quite a few occasions in this game was just his power, his upper body strength for a player that age is is really something. And uh, of course, the awareness, of course, that passing ability. He was great. Um, And I think... I mean, maybe we'll come on to him because he's one of the wide players who Laurent Koscielny kind of called out in his post match comments, you know, as regards the defending. But mm. they were good goals and really good finishes from Ursula and Alexis, players who haven't necessarily found goals. Easy to come by of like...
2: Yeah, true. So there we are. We're like, put ourselves in this fantastic position and then, and then it all goes. And then. then, XFU uh, to the max.
1: (laughs) Um, Shall we go through it goal by goal, shall we? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Why not? Let's put ourselves through the ringer.
2: Yeah, why not? We're here to share the misery and uh, maybe it'll be cathartic in the end. Who knows? (laughs)
1: But look, the first one,
2: for all the positives that are had, people have pointed to him conceding possession for both the goals before half time mm. he lost the ball he gave a bad pass and then he was sort of robbed in possession for for the second one um, yeah ideally you don't want that to happen but I do think there were other factors involved It would be very diff- or very harsh to, to pin the blame on him entirely the first one then he loses the ball West Ham spread it um, and the ball comes to Cresswell on the left hand side who's got a great left foot can cross the ball very well yeah mean he's
1: a very good cross.
2: Yeah, it's a great cross, but nobody's anywhere near him. Nobody. Mm. Um, and in the middle, Andy Carroll is standing on the edge of the box. He's watching. He's waiting. And Lauren Koscielny is standing, watching, waiting. He's not close to him. I mean, for me, as a uh, what you want a centre have to do there is be right on top of him and make it really difficult for him to make the run. Now, Carroll is so big and strong and powerful in the air that if he gets a run and jumps, you're fucked. There's no way around that. So what you do is you make it really difficult for him to run and jump.
1: You stand in his way. You know, that. I mean, for me, that was just basic. Does Carroll give him a problem by the fact that he his starting position is so deep? So he comes sort of almost right to the edge of the box, and Koscielny probably... Doesn't want to follow him there. Is that is that fair? I don't M-
2: know. Maybe, but look, you've got uh, one player. I think it was Antonio outside him, um, mm. and Monreal is on him, and it's Monreal that ends up marking Carol because she only just stands there, and what you have is Gabrielle standing as well. So you've got two center halves. I mean, yeah. um, what you could do is, Kaciany uh, goes to Carol, tells Gabrielle to cover, and you're set up for it. So it's not like you're you're overloaded. It's two like two West Ham players, three Arsenal defenders in the box, and on the edge of the box there are two other. I guess it's um, I think it could be a and El Nenny. On the huh. edge of the box with one West Ham guy sort of there or thereabouts as well coming in. So, I, you know, I thought the defending was weak. I thought the, the fact that we didn't close the cross down was really weak as well. Koscielny said, you can't let them get across in easy because they've got good players on the wings. It's a job for everyone, not just the defenders. The guys on the flanks need to help their teammates with defending. That's quite pointed, isn't it?
1: yeah it is and this was i mean strategically this was a really fascinating game because west ham started with a back 3 mm. and it gave them loads of problems defensively we were finding space outside their center halves we scored two goals in that fashion uh, with players you know in the channels but it did mean that they had kind of an overload uh you know when they went forward they found we struggled to deal with their wing backs we didn't defend well against them mm. so we were trading these blows and kashani sounds pretty hacked off and what, I suppose what's surprising about that is you look at our wide players at Woby and Alexis they're players who typically you would consider ones who who do work hard for the team and yeah. do cover yeah. uh, particularly in the case of Alexis so it's interesting that he's you know do you think his I mean it sounds like from what you from saying that Crest wasn't so much space it sounds like you think he's he's got a point because there
2: Yeah of course I think he's got a point I but mean, he's also
1: accountable right he yeah, he's, didn't yeah, of course. he's mark. got his
2: own part to play in the goal for sure but uh, he's absolutely right. You know that the the best way to to stop a player like Carol causing you problems is to stop the crosses and to stop those at source. So you got to work hard um, to close down the men who are going to make those crosses. So I, he's absolutely right, but he's also got to to take some. Uh, take some responsibility himself, which, to be fair, and I should just give the rest of his cross, uh, or the rest of his quote a mention. he says uh, on Carroll, he's quality when it comes to heading the ball. If you want to win the duel, you need to be stronger and arrive early on the cross. And I, my assumption here is that he's talking about attacking the ball as a defender rather than yeah. cutting it out um, at source, out in the flanks.
1: Um, well, there we go. I mean, that's something at least. But I, I do think... I do think it is frustrating. I mean it, I, I in some ways I think the defending on the second goal was actually worse yeah. uh, in my eyes. Did you did you see it that way?
2: Well yeah, what did you think of the decision to punch the corner?
1: I mean, I'm never a massive fan when it's when it's catchable, do you know what I mean? When mm. when you have that opportunity, especially right on half time, mm. uh, and you can sort of kill the game effectively yeah. for a few yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been lovely. Instead, it's kept in play. The players have to make a call about pushing up or not, um, which we're not good at at the best of times. (laughs) And uh, there we go. I mean, when the ball fell to Carroll at the back post, he had far too much space for my liking.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, we pushed out, but we didn't look around to see who was there behind us. Mm. It's ridiculous the amount of... um, The amount of, uh, like, one, two, three... I think there may have
1: been another player's... There were, okay,
2: there were... Five, four West Ham players behind four Arsenal defenders, all of whom are in like a, a line together. They're really close together. Carroll stays on side as uh, number two. Who's behind? Uh, let's see. I think it's a number two uh, who's behind Carroll as well. Reed, I think. Winston Reed. So if the ball comes back in, Winston Reed, is absolutely clear at the back post as well. He's hundred percent. There isn't an Arsenal player within. Seven or eight yards of him, and he's onside. So the defending there was was brutal, absolutely brutal. Uh, when it came to Carroll, where we slowed to close him down, did he get a bit of luck, do you think, when he miskicked it, it rebounded back off Gabrielle? Yeah, maybe. Could maybe. Gabrielle
1: have done better? Uh, oh, I can't remember, to be honest. I think he got a bit of luck, but then the way you dispatched it was quite impressive, even via mm. deflection, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, and bear in mind in that first half, we could have well conceded another goal. Um, Lanzini put one away just before we scored, actually. Yeah, where he was actually onside and mm. called off. Mm. So uh, the defending was was pretty poor, to be honest. Yeah. As a as a unit, yeah. it was a mess.
2: Yeah, and this is where we, I think, we'll talk about. Will we talk about Ospina and Czech now? Because I think yeah, just I think just talking so. about that uh, that punch, and I think the point you make is really interesting. Because okay, we've conceded a goal, not ideal, but not the end of the world, right? When you have a corner like that, if you've got a goalkeeper that comes out and claims that and takes that ball, it just takes the pressure off you.
1: Yeah. Catch he, it. Fall, do that thing where goalies do where they fall on the floor yeah. and lie on the ball Absolutely. for about 20 seconds. Just kill some time
2: get yourself organized again if you've got anybody out there who can fucking organize a team in the first place. <laughs> but, you know, that's where that's where I think the benefit of Czech is. And w- what I said about Ospina after the game, people were thinking I was being critical of him. I wasn't critical of him because I don't think he had any chance with any of the goals. Uh, what I was critical of, or not necessarily critical of, the point I was making was that if you have a goalkeeper who can come and dominate the area, that it makes it makes it more difficult for a player like Andy Carroll to have that kind of threat. That when the goalkeeper comes off his line and catches the ball and is big and strong, it, it's, it's more difficult for the attacking team. Ospina is a goalkeeper, as we know, who likes to stay on his line. He doesn't really venture outside his six-yard box much at all. Mm. Uh, he, when he does come, he's not always terribly convincing. Uh, and I think maybe if Czech could come and save that, you know, taken that. What, what did you think of the decision?
1: I was really surprised, really surprised. Do you and, think
2: the decision was made because Petr Cech is not 100% fit or because he was just happy with how Ospina had played and wanted to keep a winning team?
1: I, I think I think that <clears throat> it was decision made because he was happy with Ospina. I, I really do because he had the opportunity in his post-match to say, Cech's not quite right and I know that he was doing some work on his calf before the game but I I don't know I mean all the indications whether Chet would come back in he's been on the bench for two matches I, I and we've seen Arson do this kind of thing before that's the thing I wouldn't put it past him at all I think that he didn't anticipate Carroll playing and thought that Aspina deserved to continue. I think he's probably got one in his head. He's worrying about keeping Aspina across the summer. He likes him as his number two and he wants to feel that there's a meritocracy in place and mm. if you perform well, you stay in the side. But if that is the case, I find it so mental. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you think that or do you think Czech's not right? Part of me wants to think that Czech isn't quite 100% yet. Do you not think Arsenal would have taken the opportunity to sort of say that? I mean, maybe he has and I've missed it. But
2: No, I haven't heard him say that. And I'm not sure that he would actually say that. Right. Um, to me, the only logical reason for keeping check on the bench is he's not 100% fit. But like you, my suspicion is that Cech could have played and that he picked Ospina because he wanted to, I don't know why. I don't know because he's, well. he's, he's nice because okay. he's a
1: nice man. He is a nice Arsene man. Because Wenger is a nice man, mm. and he didn't want to be horrible to David Espino, who's performed really well. But Petacek is the clear number one at this club. He was yeah. bought specifically because of that. Yeah, he was bought to make a difference in games like yesterday. And I know that he made mistakes on the first day against West Ham. But really, has he made mistakes like that since then? No, not not that I can remember with any kind of regularity. No. At and and I agree with you that Ospina stood little chance with most of those goals Um, but I do wonder if the presence of Czech, his ability to come off the line I wonder if the first time a cross was lofted into the penalty area in the match if Czech had come taken it claimed it held on to it I just wonder if that would put that little seed of doubt in Carroll's mind, mm. give West Ham that little pause for thought, not give them the confidence that they had that every time they swung the ball into the box, Carroll would get there almost unimpeded.
2: Absolutely. That was my whole point about the, the, the goalkeeping selection decision. That was my entire point, is that I think it changes the way that the team defends and it adds an extra bit of security and defensive solidity when you've got a goalkeeper who can do what Petr Cech does. Like Ospina's a great shot stopper. He makes some good saves, even if he never seems to catch the ball at the first attempt when yeah, he makes he did his a good save. he
1: uh, a good bit of sweeping as well. Yeah. Which, I, you know, he's probably superior to check in that respect in terms yeah. of getting off his line quickly. Yeah. But that isn't the threat we were up against at West Ham. Mm.
2: And of course, you don't make a half-time check. You don't take your goalkeeper off at half-time. It's just... You know, it's weird. I Nobody do wonder that. if
1: I do wonder if you know. Something he said he didn't expect Carroll to start at all was what he said. Yeah, and I do wonder if when the team sheets came in, he looked at his selection and looked at Pellecch and Perma attack on the bench, and mm. had a you know a slight moment of oh maybe I've got this wrong. Like, yeah, it would only be natural, I suppose.
2: So look, like the that. third goal then, uh, Monreal, which is unusual for him this season, got well and truly done by the right back, and the cross mm. came in to the back post where of course you want Hector Bellerin all 5 foot 9 of him marking 6 foot 4 6 foot 5 with his ponytail with his terrible hair oh he doesn't have that anymore does he does he? he's got like terrible cornrows or something
1: has he i mean he's had Andy some Andy Carroll not Bellerin yeah um, right
2: right right so yeah that's that's the guy that you want marking Andy Carroll isn't it at the back post again does that come down to organizational issues between the central defenders
1: Maybe, I mean, maybe one of the central defenders should have gone with him. I mean, Carroll's probably being smart there. He's probably thinking, I'll pull I'll pull onto this player who's a foot shorter than me yeah. rather than well, Gabriel Koscielny. But you I think would, wouldn't you? Of course, of course. Uh, and I suppose the it's not like in the days where we had Bakary Sanyo at right back who would fancy his chances against anyone in the air. You know, Bellerin's not that sort of player necessarily. No. So I think, I guess, yeah, you'd hope that the centre-halves would go. But, I mean, mate... I don't know. I can't remember. I haven't got the cross in front of me now. I don't think any goalkeeper would have plucked out that cross. It was quite lofted. Although David Espina's positioning, I thought, was certainly interesting on the, on the third goal. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> This mean, little party trick of being behind the line.
2: Yeah, I, I asked a question on Twitter about it and some people, the, the the answers I was going, why does he do it? Because it's something he does quite often. And mm. some people say, it's because he's shit and I don't buy that. Some people say it's because he wants to give himself more time to react, and I'm not sure I buy that either. I just think, I think it's, it's, a just weird, it's a weird, it's a weird affectation that he has with his goalkeeping.
1: Well, I think he's so reticent to come off his line in those situations that he he literally ends up sort of almost by the pattern of play being pushed a bit behind.
2: Yeah, him. surely no goalkeeping coach is telling him stand behind the line. Surely, I mean that can't be a that can't be a real thing, right?
1: No, I mean you want to narrow the angle as much as possible. You want to get out of the goal, right? So, I don't know. It's a, it's a curious coincidence, let's say, kindly, mm. that he, he, his feet regularly seem to be in the goal. Mm. I mean, uh, there's
2: a good case to be made that he would have saved that header had it not gone in off Gabrielle's head. Yes. True. So I don't want to be like critical of him for that. I he mean, I has been think-
1: good. I mean, yeah. I have been critical in the past, but I think this season, with the exception of that aberration at the start in the Champions League, this in this run while Czech's been out, mm. I think he's really been very solid, very reliable. Mm. I still think that if Czech was fit, he one hundred percent should have played.
2: Well, and I think he has to play the next game. Simple as that. Yeah. Unless there's some weird injury thing goes on between now and Sunday, but uh, hopefully that's not the case. So, look, 3-2 down then, shell-shocked, and Arsene Wenger brought on Aaron Ramsey for, mm-hmm. uh, who did he bring on Ramsey for? Kukulan. and then he brought on Giroud for, for Elneny. Elneny. So, I mean, we have a midfield partnership of of uh, Ramsey and Iwobi, mm. um, and then he brought on Theo Walcott as well. All the forwards to try and get us a goal, and Lauren Cassiani was the man who got the equaliser.
1: He was, yeah, tidy finish. He likes, he likes a goal, doesn't he, Lauren mm. Cassiani? Every now and then, yeah. Um, beautiful assist off the shin of Danny Welbeck as well. <laughs> uh, lovely piece of miscontrol that paid paid off for us there. But yeah, we got the equaliser. And did you at three all? There was still a fair. What, what minute was that? Bit, twenty minutes. minutes. There was twenty uh, minutes. To go. Yeah, it was
2: the seventieth minute when we scored. So there was like twenty minutes plus injury time. To get and a did winner. Did you
1: feel like we could ever? Did you feel like that was on the cards? Well, I,
2: you look at the players that we have on the pitch. Giroud, Walcott. Uh, was it Welbeck came off for Walcott, wasn't Welbeck it? Welbeck came off. Right. So you've got uh, Ramsey Alexis. on the pitch. You've got Alexis. You've got Ozil. you got Iwobi. There's plenty of goals for there. I mean, mm. the moment when it opened up for Alexis for a shot on his left foot and he cut back inside on his right. Oh, that was infuriating, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't scream at the television very often. Because what is the point in screaming at inanimate objects? Even though I know I've revealed on this podcast before, maybe the, the RS cast regular, that I do shout at inanimate ob- objects all the time. Sure. But the television when a football match is on. But that was one. It was like, what the fuck? Just hit it, it with your left foot. Fu-
1: it opened up brilliantly. And then, I mean, he loves to cut inside, doesn't he, Alexis? That is his favorite thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, he wasn't going to resist the opportunity, but it was it was definitely there to be hit. Oh. Um, so but, that was, that was yeah. just but, irritating.
2: But, uh, you know, when it came right down to it, did, did Adrian have to make any saves?
1: Not really. I can't really think of any... I can't think of any particularly big chances for either side, actually, in that last period. Mm. Um, I feel like... I mean, you know, the problem was it was that classic thing where we'd thrown on so many attacking players that we didn't actually have great shape to our team anymore. Yeah. So it's probably quite difficult to exert any sustained pressure. Um, although I did think Awebi did well, you know, in that deep lying role. Uh, you know, just considering his inexperience and being put in that position, I thought yeah. he did. He did okay. So
2: look, overall, a very frustrating, disappointing point uh, from the Upton Bolin Park. What well, did we
1: predict, Andrew? That's the question. Well, here we go. I'm going to get
2: the prediction thing. Prediction? What's it? It's on the. It's on the wall here. Yeah. All right, so we've got to do our predictions and then, obviously, the, the Spurs and Leicester games. Mm. So, um, the Arsenal predictions. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, I can't remember which. Was it just last week's game? Yeah. That we did? So, hang on. One, two, three, four, five. Have we got six games left, we do. Yeah. We've got six games left. Okay, I better cross off the ones that we've already done. So... My prediction for this game was a draw.
1: Okay. You were correct. Well I done. was correct. Your prediction was a loss. So we're up on the deal, guys, mm-hmm. for me.
2: However, let's go to our predictions of Leicester and uh, Sunderland uh, or Tottenham. We both predicted a win for Leicester. Did we You got we know? that? Yeah. And we both predicted a win for Tottenham against Manchester United. I think. One, hmm. two, three, four, five. No, actually. <sighs> I'm a bit fucked here. Because I can't remember which, which how many you games have You haven't written done. down
1: which game is which.
2: Yeah, I haven't. So how many games have Tottenham got left? Let me just see.
1: They've got... How many left? Uh, six left. Six no, time. five left. Five left. Five left. One, two,
2: three, four, five. One, two, three. Okay. Yeah, we both predicted wins for Tottenham against Manchester United. So we're both right in that regard. So I got go. all three right.
1: Congratulations. Great. How great. does it feel?
2: Miserable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did, um, you, um, did you watch the Leicester and Spurs games?
2: I did. I watched the Leicester game. And, yeah, I mean, they just keep doing it. They just keep doing it. I'm on board now. You know, I have to. I have to because we can't win it. There's no way we can win it. So the only thing I can do now is hope that Leicester win it and Tottenham don't.
1: That's it. Please, God. (laughs) Please let that happen. As unpleasant
2: Um, as some of their characters are, you know, it's much better
1: to have a racist striker win the league than Tottenham. I wholeheartedly agree. What have Leicester and Tottenham got that we haven't got? Organisation. That's the main thing, isn't
2: That's it? That's the thing that just, the one word that just struck me. I mean, I don't want to talk well of Tottenham in any way, really, but they're good. Yeah. They're a good team and they're well organised and you can see that in the way that they play. And Leicester, when you look at the, through that Leicester side, like, look at the two halves. People go on about Mertesacker, for example. Mertesacker's got no pace. Blah, blah, blah. Well, no fucking... One's
1: Robert Huth. No Robert Hooth, No knows Wes Morgan.
2: I would put money on Mertesacker beating Robert Hooth in a foot race. Mm. So pace is not the issue. I'd you... like to
1: see that if anyone can
2: organise that. Yeah, please. I'd really two, enjoy it. The two Germans. Yeah. Um, you look through the side. You look at the players on an individual basis. And in terms of talent, individual quality and all those kind of things, you would say that there are teams throughout this league that have more than Leicester, much more. So what have they got that that the others don't? They've got organization, they've got spirit, they've got, you know, and, and those kind of things, spirit and will to win and desire are completely intangible. We can't measure them, but what we can do is look at how they play and the way they play and the way they manage Games and yeah. the the way that they stay organized defensively, the way that the midfield helps out the back four, the way that the strikers and the wide players um, uh, help their help their fullbacks, and don't allow the dangerous situations um, to develop. I mean, essentially, Leicester, Leicester have played a four four two most of the season, right? Yeah, and yeah. you know, in this modern era of football, that's viewed as anachronistic in a certain way. That that's not a formation that can be successful, yet. Here we are. They're top of the table, five games to go and they look like they could win the league. There's a lot
1: to be said for, for that. So that's where, that's where I would uh, point to. I mean, I don't think they've conceded a goal for five games, you know. Mm. Four 1-0 wins, a 2-0 win at this weekend. Um, it is amazing. I mean, uh, no, I don't think anybody would argue that Wes Morgan's a better footballer than Laurent Koscielny. You know, I don't think anyone would suggest that Danny Simpson can hold a candle to Hector Bellerin. And yet, the the sum of their parts is is so much more efficient Mm. Um, Mm. it is frustrating though because you know you talk about teams with more talent and Arsenal are undoubtedly one of those yeah but they just they fall short in some of these some of these slightly less tangible areas I think you know I I actually do think that Leicester play with a greater spirit a greater sense of courage than Arsenal teams do but I think that that is hard to measure and that's hard to define Mm the organisation thing Leadership, we, as we, we talked about leadership's earlier Leadership's a big one, yeah um, but I think, you know, motivation but I think the the, the organisation, the tactical elements are things that can be implemented mm. fairly practically Yeah, um, and, and yet are not For sure, uh, even Arsene
2: Wenger said something about it at the weekend didn't he, he said something about leadership hang on, let me see if I can find it bum, Okay, hang on. No, he didn't. Maybe he didn't. Maybe (laughs) I was just dreaming it. I thought he did.
1: Maybe. I mean, it's interesting. It's an age-old thing, isn't it? Arsenal needs more leaders. But Mm. it does feel particularly true at the moment, you know. Mm. Um, Maybe it's because Arteta's been phased out of the team, because Mertzaka seems to not be in favour at the moment as opposed to Gabriel, because uh, Czech. You know, can't get back into the side. Ospina's still in there, but we do seem to lack organis- organisers on the pitch as well as off it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look, there we go. Um, that was the game. So look, we're, we've wow, we've waffled on here quite a bit. Um, will we take a break and come back with questions?
1: Let's take a break and come back with questions.
0: One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved ones' doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code Jingle at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.
2: Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two, where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at ArseBlog, and, of course, on Facebook. I remembered to do a thing on Facebook today, so if you want to check it out, That's it's face- yeah, Facebook.com forward slash The ArseBlog. That's the uh, the official uh, Arsblog page on there. So let's do it, James. Let's do the questions. You go first.
1: Oh, Thank you very much. What an honour. You'd think I would have been prepared, but I wasn't. <laughs> OK. This, uh, uh, all right. Uh, let's start with this one. This is from NJ Go- Arsenal or NJ Guna. Two pseudonyms from New Jersey. OK. Harris County. He says, why do people keep insisting the season is over when in fact it isn't? Is our fan base just a bunch of quitters?
2: Well, technically speaking, the season is not over because we still have six games to go. So, on that point, he is absolutely right. It's not over. And anyone who insists that it's over is wrong. But is it over when it comes to having a successful season in terms of winning trophies?
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. I'm, I'm, and I'm over it, (laughs) nearly. I don't Uh, think, I don't think
2: it's the fans being a bunch of quitters. I think it's people being realistic about a situation where you have six games to go and you're 13 points behind the leaders. That's not being a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, what do they, that's doing the math.
1: I mean, everybody knows that the jig is up, I think. The jig is up. I like it. Uh, the jig is up. I think Leicester need... They've got five games left. Mm-hmm. If they win two of them they will definitely finish above us. Mm. So there's a... I mean, it, and that's if we win all our games, which <laughs> I still would not bet on. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on that either because, of course,
2: the XFU uh, <laughs> says that. <laughs>
1: well, with our XFU numbers this high, guys, we'll be lucky to win any games. <laughs> so, um, I yeah, uh, it is over in a way. It's weird this bit of the season now I think. Now that we are sort of out of it. I mean, we are all Leicester fans, aren't we for the next few weeks?
2: Got to be. You've got to be because the alternative is just, it's just unthinkable.
1: Unthinkable. Don't be quitters fans, I want you to stay interested in the season and put all your positive energy behind Leicester. Yeah. It's a it has it has to happen. Yeah. It'd be a victory for all football.
2: So I'm not a quitter. I have to say, you know, if there's even the vaguest slimmest hope as ludicrous as it is, there's a part of me that goes, because I, I don't know how to explain this. I, when I grew up as a kid and I thought about Arsenal, I thought that they could do anything. I thought mm-hmm. that they could win anything. And I grew up in the 70s when Liverpool won everything and Arsenal won fuck all. Um, you know, we got the 1979 FA Cup final. Then you had the whole 80s thing. But I still had this belief in Arsenal as an institution doing or being capable of doing anything. Or winning anything, or doing things the right way—that I, I can't shake that. <laughs> as ludicrous as it despite is, despite
1: all the evidence, <laughs> despite all
2: the evidence, and despite me knowing better, there's just this part of me that goes, "Well, it's only thirteen points," and if they, you know. But I know I'm not being a quitter. I'm just being realistic here. That uh, the season is is not over from a technical point of view, but from a uh, the chances of winning the Premier League, they're well and truly gone at this point.
1: But, but but, think, but, 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 but what? Well, no, no. no the no, Premier I'll... League's gone. The Premier League's definitely gone. All right. I, thought, my, you, I in... thought
2: you were going to tell me that there was a chance, a miracle no, chance, something had happened. can't see it. No.
1: But if we what, win our game what, in hand... What? Go on. No, we, sorry. Yeah. On, <laughs> <laughs> if we win our game in hand, we will be just three points behind Spurs. Mm-hmm. And surely, surely it's something to play for still to not allow them to finish above us because it's been so long now. Mm. And it... And You know, it'll be horrible. It'll be horrible to not celebrate St. Totteringham's Day like every other year. Yeah. Um, And uh, again, it doesn't feel massively likely. I mean, they're much more informed than us, it would seem at at present. Mm. But that is a a, a gap that we could reel in, conceivably. Yeah. So I think that's really, I mean, with the league gone, you know, that's got to be the focus.
2: That's where our season comes down to. All right. Um, This one comes from Knut or Knut. I don't know how you pronounce that. Knut or Knut Moland. He's at Knutsen or Nutsen 1. Okay. And he In wants knut. to know, is it time to try out the Chambers-Kaschelny partnership at Central Defence?
1: What do you reckon? What, just as some sort of, you know, Central Defender roulette? Let's just give everyone a, a go.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess based on the fact that, well, uh, Gabriel and Koschelny was exposed against West Ham. The manager has decided also that Mertesacker and Koscielny isn't his thing right at this moment in time. So should we not
1: try something else? I mean, I would be more inclined to... If I was going to change it, if I was asking, I'd probably be more inclined with this stage of the season to bring in Mertesacker back alongside Koscielny than, than have a go with Chambers. But... I mean, if if the season plays out in this way over the next couple of games and we genuinely are left with nothing to play for, then we probably ought to have a look at Chambers at centre-back. Mm. Um, while there's still something at stake, even if it is just finishing above our local rivals, I'd probably be more inclined to go with the the experienced guy and a partnership that has at least worked and functioned before very mm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not forget. But, uh, I mean, maybe... Uh, I think centre-half's an area that we're going to have to address I mean I'm going to throw in uh, another question now it's from Matt Beck uh, at Matt Beck 27 he says in January I asked about your thoughts on Gabrielle's first year do you remember that we were talking about Gabrielle back in January Ah, uh, 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 no no okay well <laughs> I said I thought he'd been really good <laughs> right and you were a bit more cautious so. okay and then he says can we now say he's just squalachy with a tough upbringing
2: that's very interesting. you um, with a tough upbringing. Uh, look, I don't think he's been quite that bad, but I don't think he's developed in the way that we would have liked, that the uh, there are issues with his defending. I mean, he's a tidy footballer. He's good on the ball. He's quick. He's not as strong as he should be. Did you see him get bounced by Payet at one point in the I second did. half? He went oh like, I'm going in here, and Payet literally just... You know, I know those kind of short squat guys are. You can bounce off them, but Stocky, if aren't yeah, they? if you're big and strong enough already. Um, did you see the quotes from Matt Spiral? Oh, f- from Squilacci. I
1: actually didn't see them. Have you got them? Well, to I heard?
2: don't have the quotes per se. No, but. Um, Matt is a journalist based in France, and he said, I had a couple of tweets here, he's at Matt Spiro, and he said, I had an interesting chat with Squirlachi about the difficulties of being a centre-back in a Wenger team. He knows a thing about that too, too often exposed. Campbell, Touré, Keon, Adams, etc. good enough to cope, she only just about two, but not many others are. And then there was a lot of tweets obviously going, well, Squirrelacci is shit, he's a terrible player, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Matt's point was uh, for those slating him, okay, but he won trophies with Monaco, Lyon, Sevilla. I think he won a European trophy, didn't he, with Sevilla? Mm-hmm. Uh, played in the World Cup and a Champions League final. Arsenal was his only failure. So uh, it's quite interesting, isn't it, to look at the, the litany of centre halves who've come and gone and not been successful at Arsenal.
1: Yeah, I mean, when Squall actually arrived, he had a certain pedigree, you know. I thought he was for for the for the
2: the time that was in it and for the the way the club was and we had i think um did we still we still had Juru at that time okay. and Juru was do you remember that period when Juru looked like the greatest center half ever And we went through this long period. Whenever he played, we won. He was cool, cool, kind of collected on the ball, and then it all went to shit, but whatever. And Koscielny had just signed. And then you look at a player like Scrilacci coming in, who was, what, maybe 29, 30 at the time. All this European experience. He was playing for Sevilla, who were playing Champions League football. He'd been with Monaco. He'd done all these and played at the World Cup, etc., etc. On paper, that was a guy who really should have fit the bill. And Mm. it just went terribly, terribly wrong. And perhaps it's the inability to cope with the pressure of being a defender in Arsene Wenger's teams, that the defenders... We go through these periods, don't we, where we go, fucking hell, our defence is being exposed time and time again, and something will happen uh, where we have one of these amazing games where Walcott tracks back and does all the defending and helps his full-back out, and uh, you know the defensive midfielder shuttles across and cuts out the runs, and they don't get the crosses in, and they go, this is the blueprint for Arsenal to play football. If the team <laughs> works together, we can all be magnificent and fantastic. We can defend well, we can do all these things, and it's like after a few games we go uh, yeah we'll just kind of carry on and do what we normally do and all of a sudden the defence <laughs> is left exposed time and time again and I think that's a really good point is that the defence is so often exposed that guys look like worse defenders than they actually are because mm. they're just being fucking relentlessly battered in games and relentlessly being left without any help or protection from the midfield it's why Cochalan, when he came in people went whoa fuck this is but this is brilliant. Like all of a sudden, there isn't a great big gap right down the center of our midfield.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I so, think the, you're right. the, yeah.
2: So these these issues that our defenders face, you can point to the quality of some of the defenders, and I don't think you can you can uh, excuse all of it. Um, but you can look at you can look at the way that uh, teams are allowed play against our defenders, and I think the best defenders around would struggle. Given some of the things uh, our guys have had to to contend with over the years, yeah,
1: I mean, drop you know drop a Morgan or a Huth into the Arsenal team, I'm sure they'd look uh, a, a mess. <laughs> I you know drop even a a Vertonghen or an Oldaviral in, I, I don't think they'd look half the player they do at Spurs, and I think that is because of the system and the support around them. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we always are searching for individuals and already people are talking about, well, this summer we need to buy a certain kind of centre-half who can partner Koscielny and can offer this and offer that. And I think mm. that's probably true. However, I also think that if the, the structural issues in the team aren't fixed, then they're still going to be exposed, mm. yeah. how much money you spend on them.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Organisation, James. Organisation. Mm.
1: Well, listen, I mean I I'm just doing all the questions today, I hope you don't mind. No, not at all. Um, but Guna D S asks is the defensive weakness due to players or training method? And if it's the latter, how much responsibility should Steve Bold take? Remember Steve Bold? Well, Steve Bold and he came in and there was all that chat about, you know, he's gonna help the defence out and we had a decent run with him. Yeah. You
2: know
1: it's all gone quiet, hasn't it? It
2: has a bit, but then I don't I don't know. It's difficult to make any real assessment because we don't know how much work he is doing on the training ground. We don't
1: know about the delineation responsibility, do we?
2: Absolutely. As we know, Arsene Wenger likes to take all the training sessions. Mm -hmm. He decides what happens and when it happens. And while I, I don't buy into the theory that we don't do any defensive training, I do feel like we could probably do more based on what we're seeing. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's very difficult, isn't it? There was a great picture during the week. Did you see it um, of Steve Bold and Arsene Wenger on the training ground? Steve Bold is saying something. Steve Bold is saying something to Arsene Wenger, and St- and Wenger's got his arms out like what? What are you saying? <laughs> this is quite a, quite a good <laughs> Say picture. Say what? Say what? Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to see if I can if I can find it here while we're talking, but um, it's it's difficult to know what Steve Bold is doing what you would say is in general that our defensive coaching leaves something to be desired. And again, mm. it comes back to defending, not just being the realm of defenders, that the team do have a responsibility. Everybody in the team has a responsibility. Oh, here's the picture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to you now. Will I send it on this thing in here in the chat yeah, thing? Yeah. Where the fuck is it gone? Bottom right. Bottom right. Oh, there it is. Little chatty doodah. Um, I'll put a link to this on the on the blog post if someone wants to go and check it out.
1: Oh yeah, God! <laughs> Arsene looks like he's sort of going up to Steve ball and saying, "And what? And yeah. what, mate? Bring it!" Yeah. Who? Did, what the fuck? Yeah. I, yeah.
2: What do you mean, organization? Yeah. What do you mean, stopping crosses? What do you mean, attacking the ball? What Listen, do you mean, mate. heading it away? Yeah. What's, what? What are these? You're just going to confuse them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I was just thinking about our team and I was thinking about Leicester. I'm thinking about Leicester a lot at the moment, but, you know, their strategy for the second half of the season, at least, has basically been be organised, be compact, mm. defend and rely that your creative players, your likes of Mares, and your clinical attackers, the likes of Vardy, will get the job done at the other end. And do you not think that in people like Urzel and Alexis, say... Arsenal have the attacking talent to be able to do that, to be able to get the one goal needed. Mm. W- what, they, what they maybe need is uh, a coach or a strategy that that just protects the other end because the attacking quality is there, inherent in the side. Arsenal have the ability to hurt a team. They just don't necessarily have to, uh, the ability to protect themselves.
2: No, they've, they've got the ability to hurt themselves by the, yeah. way that they, by the way that we defend. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You do not just um,
1: control a game to win it, you know, necessarily. If if you can defend, mm, then job's a good one.
2: Three, no, eight times we've conceded three goals or more this season in all competitions.
1: That's a lot of times.
2: That's too many times, isn't it?
1: Yeah. It's I too mean, many times. It's too many times. And when you look at the fact that you look at the league table and you look at the side that are top have lost three games in the league this season, we've already lost seven. Yeah. Very nearly eight yesterday. I mean... It, even in the last couple of weeks, when it, there has been more of a mathematical probability of us winning the league, mm. it's it's never really felt like we were champions or in the making. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah. It feels like something is is kind of missing from the dressing room, doesn't it? And that's why Sean Carey at Sean Carey Eight wants to know: Would you consider bringing in John Sitton next season just for the halftime team talks? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it would be tempting, especially if we could get one of those cameras in the dressing room, you know.
2: Well, here, for people who don't know, John Sitton was the manager of Leighton Orient and they did a fly-on-the-wall documentary. Um, and...
1: His I team mean, talks there was were... a fly on the wall, the fly has flown away in, in sheer terror. All
2: right, but I, I had to listen back to some of them before we recorded while I was waiting for you after your, you know, delay. Sure. Uh, I had a bit of time to kill, so I went and, and listened back to a couple of them, and this, if you can imagine the Arsenal dressing room at halftime on Saturday, <laughs> I think this fits in very well. I'm going to play it for you now. Hang on. Okay.
1: What I say to you about good players—they want to be good players all the time. Don't you know how profound that is? If you're not examining the fucking words, because you've had two good performances and you think I'm fucking Bertie Big Bollocks tonight, I'll fucking play our like. <laughs> but you won't play your like, because if you play your like, I'll fucking stick with to you. <laughs> Too many Bertie Big Bollocks so tonight. So you, your yeah. little cunt, when I tell you to do something, and you, your fucking big cunt, when I tell you to do something, do it. And if you come back at me, we'll have a fucking right sort out of <laughs> you. <laughs> All right, and you can pair up if you like. It's easy, really. And you can when you know. pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Because by the time I'm finished with you, you're fucking need it. You fucking need it. You're to you f- bring you your fucking, fucking dinner. It, uh, see, look, get rid of Steve Ball, Bring him in as the assistant. Surely that'll sort everything out. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, Bertie Big d-
2: Bollocks. You play two good games, and you think you're Bertie Big Bollocks?
1: Well, that's I mean, exactly, it's uncanny. That's what exactly what happened to us, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I think that Bertie Big Bollocks thing. There is something in that—that that sense of oh, we've won two games, we're back again, we're Arsenal, we're a Champions League team, we're two nil th- up, aren't we great? We're coasting, and we went to West Ham, and we didn't show them due respect, really, mm. and we paid for it. Mm. Uh, have you any questions? I mean, I feel like I've done loads of them now.
2: Okay, I, I think I've got some. Um, Come on! All right, just give me a second. Jesus, no the, get, the pressure. Get I mean,
1: I'm in, I'm hungry for questions. I'm, oh, well, hungry for I'm questions! And
2: here's a good one: If Michael Owen, this comes from G- Gunner John at it's Mr. John Friend. Yeah. If Michael Owen and Danny Mills were drowning, and you only had one life jacket, what's your favourite cheese?
1: <laughs> um, I like a Shropshire blue. Oh, you like blue cheese? Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not mad into it. What do you like, Baby Bell?
2: (laughs) Mini Baby Bell.
1: Fuck Mini Baby Bell. Mini Baby Bell.
2: Um, Um, I like uh, mozzarella. uh, Mozzarella. Not, oh, not, no, the, no. Like, not the big blocks of mozzarella, but the, the mozzarella di buffalo or buffalo mozzarella, the,
1: whatever. The you little call ball you. type thing. Yeah, yeah, but
2: I remember when I worked in this place in Spain, we had a lot of Italians work there too. And one day, this guy came back from Italy, he'd been home to visit Mama and the whole lot. And he came back with a piece of uh, buffalo mozzarella. It was about the size of your head, it was fucking outstanding. Right. In one of those uh, uh, plastic things, and it had the water in it that it sits in, you know, to keep it all fresh and stuff. And basically, people were just going in and out all day, taking bits of this, uh, this mozzarella. It was absolutely great, but I'm not a big fan of the the blue cheese.
1: No, okay. don't like I mean, it. I can understand that. I mean, effectively, it's moldy food, um, but it is delicious. That's I watched a very
2: interesting program about that recently. Um,
1: about moldy some, food. Or?
2: Yeah. It's on Netflix. It's called Cooked by Michael Pollan. And he did this uh, book called The Omnivore's Dilemma. And he's done this uh, program on Netflix called Cooked. And it's uh, fire, earth, water, and air. And one of the things that he talks about is, you know, making bread and using fermentation and beer and and how, you know, know, the way they do those crazy things uh, where they, like, bury dead shark.
1: Yeah, uh, eat like that. fermented fish. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: That's a bit what blue cheese is like for me. Fermented dead shark. I just can't, uh, doesn't work for me.
1: Can't get on board. I can understand that, to be fair. Um, I just like moldy food. So, right. you know, I, I just leave mine in the cupboard until it's green and then I think it's delicious. <laughs> um, let's, okay, well, speaking of taste, this is a good question, I thought. This is from Tapio Ranta at Hopeful Gunner. Is he still hopeful? Who knows? Don't and know. He asks, um, you've had an accident, and your taste buds have been transferred to your hands or to your feet. Choose one <sighs> um, well, I
2: would I would have to say hands, same because on my feet, I'm going to be wearing socks pretty much all the time, socks and shoes, right. And I don't want to taste my socks and shoes. Now, I'm, you know, I I wear clean socks. Show off. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what comes with age. It's the wisdom of age, learning to to wear clean socks.
1: I look forward to owning my second pair of socks and finally being able to do that. Um, So if you were
2: to taste socks and shoes all the time, that would be pretty grim. And also if you went barefoot, what are you tasting? Concrete. When do you go barefoot? When you walk on the beach. Sand, no one one wants to eat sand and no one wants to taste like dog piss because dogs piss on the sand and birds shit on the sand and it's all very salty, be just too salty, be thirsty all the time. However, with hands, you could wear gloves. From a day to day, you could wear like the surgical gloves so you don't taste anything. And then you walk along and you walk into someone's kitchen and they've got a big bowl of chili there. You just take the gloves off and go brom, 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 and put your hands Definitely in you the don't chili. don't burn yourself though. Yeah, you'd have to let it cool down a little bit. But yeah, you could just like splodge your hands onto things. You just walk into a restaurant. This is how you this is how you taste food. Walk into a restaurant and just randomly go splat, 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 splat onto people's plates. Ooh, that steak Diane was delicious. Ooh, that spaghetti carbonara was delicious. Sorry about your dinner, folks, but uh, I had to taste something. That'd be it. So hands
1: for me. But shaking hands with people on introduction would Wearing be full of difficulty. Gloves. Always Wearing gloves. Yep, yep. Very good. I mean, I'm almost mindful of the fact that you have been offered this situation before. You're so... You're so astute in your interpretation of it. I mean, I think you've absolutely got this bang on.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I think so. All right, I've got one final question. This comes from one of our pals on Facebook, which is James Stewart Wild. And he said, if you had the choice of having one of the following superpowers, which would you have and who would you use it on? One, the power to make someone happy. Or two, the power to make someone unhappy.
1: Oh. Um, today <laughs> I <would> probably, <laughs> I don't know. There are lots of temptations. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I, the, the happiness on myself would be quite nice. No, you can't um, use it on yourself. Oh, I can't use it on myself. No. The unhappiness, um, my mate Jack, who's a West Ham fan. Why? He was giving me quite a lot of s- stick over the weekend I'd quite, quite like something bad to befall him. Fuck today. you, Jack. Yeah, Jack. Um, he's in a McCoy's advert at the moment where he eats a crisp and makes a weird noise. Keep an eye out for him. All right. You, if it, every time that McCoy's advert comes on telly, swear at your telly and say, fuck you, Jack.
2: Fuck you. I'm uh, never buying McCoy's again.
1: Yeah. I mean, if McCoy's want to send me any free crisps, that is fine. That's fine. Um, so I think Jack, the West Ham fan, I'd make him really unhappy. It's his turn. Right. Um what about you? Well, I think there's far too much
2: negativity in the
1: world. And I
2: would li- I'd prefer to make someone happy than make someone uh-huh. unhappy. Now, that's You're not to say that there isn't, you know, obviously a part of my brain that is thinking Mourinho, John yeah. Terry, Phil Collins, Phil Andy Collins Carol, dolphin. Yeah, 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 dolphin. Yeah, a dolphin. Oh yeah, by the way. By the way. <laughs> thanks for the fucking how many? One, two, three, four, nine dolphin emojis in a text last night. That was...
1: It was was like a red rag to a bull. (laughs) I know how much you hate dolphins. Fucking bastard dolphins. Let's just all just start tweeting arseblog dolphin emojis and see if he finally cracks under (laughs) the pressure.
2: Listen, Twitter is on the brink of a downfall and now (laughs) you've just absolutely fucked
1: it. I pushed it over the edge.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to get dolphin emojis all day long. Um, Who would I like to make happy? Um... I just like to make Arsenal fans happy.
1: Oh.
2: oh. By well pace. By making Tottenham and Leicester unhappy. There we go. Because they get a points deduction for fielding ineligible players and just being annoyingly consistent over the course mm. of a season. There should be an FA rule introduced outlawing organisation in any form. And those two teams have
1: displayed that overtly. In yeah, fact, you would
2: go so far as to say that they, they've they been quite smug about it.
1: I would say they're very pleased with themselves. But, you know, when this new law comes in, they'll rue the day they tactically planned something.
2: Yeah, exactly. Motherfuckers like Slavin Bilic and his his whatever he did. What did he do again that I've forgotten? Oh, yeah. He set up his team to expose our weaknesses. Oh, he's got a nerve. Well, outrageous.
1: Sorry. it is just outrageous. A final bit of good news. Arsenal have just tweeted that Matthew Debussy returned from injury to help Bordeaux keep a clean sheet. So that'll raise spirits. Good to see Bordeaux defending well <laughs> with our players. And uh, the first reply to the tweet from Captain Morocco has just said in all capital letters, "No one cares."
2: <laughs> well, Captain Morocco, I think uh, I think he summed it up there quite well.
1: He has indeed. Let's give the final word to Captain Morocco. I did like I did like the worst superhero. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I did like the other Arsenal tweet about um, how uh, Nacho Monreal nearly scored against West Ham. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, that yeah, wouldn't God. wind people up at all, would it? No, no idea. Anyway, we'll go and uh, see if Captain Morocco can save the day. Maybe he's the hero we've all been waiting for. Batman versus Superman versus Captain Morocco. (laughs) 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 It's the next big movie, guys. Oh God! All right, okay. Let's well,
1: go. Forget about all this. Yes, let. us
2: Are you going out to get drunk again?
1: Yeah. Why not? It's Monday. All right. Well, I'll <laughs> start pre- again.
2: I'll prepare myself for the for the uh, dolphin avalanche. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll chat to you on Friday ahead of the Crystal Palace game on Sunday, and we'll be here next Monday to uh, to figure out the XFU on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Bye bye.
0: Thank mm-hmm. you.